Creative types like authors, painters, and musicians often fail to think about will and estate planning. My guest today, Matt Buckman, says, if you leave your estate in a mess, your legacy will die shortly after you do because of the tangled disaster you left behind will be too much of a pain in the ass to deal with. Next on the Executor Help Podcast. Welcome to the Executor Help Podcast, the show dedicated to help you settle an estate, pick an executor, and avoid family fights. For more information, visit davidedy.com. Now here's your host, David Eady. With me today is USA Today and Amazon number one bestseller, ML Matt Buckman. He's written over 70 plus novels in action, adventure, thrillers, and contemporary and military romance. And also... 100 short stories, and apparently lots of audiobooks. But today he's going to talk about another area that he is very passionate about, the importance of estate planning for creatives, such as authors, musicians, artists, and the like. That's why he wrote the book, Estate Planning for Authors, Your Final Letter, and Why You Need to Write It Now. Uh, Matt, thanks for joining me. Why do My you, pleasure. Why do creatives, you know, musicians fall, fail to think about estate planning? Don't they realize what they have at stake? I think there, huh, I'd say there are two things going on. One is everybody seems to be crap about thinking about this, you know, business people also. The other thing about creatives is they get into this mindset that I'm a creative. I can't think about the rest of the world. I can't think about business. And I'm sorry, writing as a career is a very intense business. You are an entrepreneur, especially in this day and age. But that set of blinders that says, no, no, I'm a creative. I have to stay in my creative space. When it's a fairly simple action to prepare your estate. And, but they're convinced it's, it's all tricky and hard, so they don't do it. At its most basic form, you go to Home Depot and you get the form, or Office Depot, right. and you get the form that says basic will, and you fill it out and follow the instructions. It puts you ahead of 50% of the people out there. That's right. Especially I'm here in Canada and you're in the U.S. We're all around about the same statistics. You know, it's anywhere between, you know, 60 to 70 percent of Americans and Canadians don't have an estate or a will or a will. So make me crazy. <laughs> when, when I asked what do they have at stake is, is that they, they think that, well, what they've created in your case would be, you know, uh, your, your what you've written. Um, you know, if it's a musician, their their music, and we're going to talk a little bit about that in a, in a, in a little bit. Um, an artist that got their paintings. Why is it they don't think about that as something that, even though that is what is going to you know derive income for them and their families, why is it they don't think about they need to protect that? I don't think it's a disease unique to creatives. I think creatives may have it worse than others because of that. I can't think about business then. But, um, you know, the, the thing about an artistic creation, about any of these IP, intellectual property objects, right. it's, it's the kind of the third type of property. There's personal property, there's real property, and there's intellectual property. The thing about intellectual property is it's not a bank account that I stopped filling when I retired, except for my pension fund or social security. It will make my descendants money for 70 years after my death by copyright law. It can keep earning for 70 years so that a creative 
not paying attention to this. And I try to communicate that to creatives. I've given this talk to large conferences, to small groups, a lot of Zoom groups during the pandemic. And it's like, oh yeah, I need to do that. And I check in a year later. It's like, oh yeah, I need to do that. Mm -hmm. I'm we're too busy being in the creative space. Yeah. And the way I run my business, if I get 15 to 20 hours a week in my creative space, that's a victory. I work 60 hours a week, but it's the, I'm also doing all the business side. One of the first steps in that business for me was write a will. So with all, all of the different, you know, I said that you've, you know, you've written in so many genres. Um, <laughs> yeah, that's a disease, not a, not a, not so, an advantage. <laughs> So, okay. So you've written all your, and, and you're, and, and uh, I assume you're still continue to create. Why? I finished a book a couple of days ago. So. Okay. So why in good, in, in heaven's name, did you figure I need to write a book for authors about estate planning? This one was actually pretty easy. I didn't, um, I didn't write it for authors. What happened was my wife came up to me one day and said, you know, our kid is terrified of when you die. It's like, you know, that's not a bad thing, right? I'm, I'm okay with my kid worrying about that. And no, no, it's your books. She knows it's worth a lot, but she doesn't know what it is. She's in autism therapy. She's not in publishing. And so I started thinking about, and you know, what can I do to prepare it for her? And I tried educating her directly and bringing her on board as an assistant but she just didn't have the interest. So I had spent about a year talking to a lot of different people and reading a lot and putting together a plan where what I really, what I'm really doing and why I, the subtitle of this is your final letter is it's not so much about creating the will and creating the estate plan. It's about, here's what I'm giving you. Here's how to find all the pieces Here's how it's organized. And here are the options of what you can do with it, different levels of involvement, right down to selling it outright. And here are the consequences of each of those choices. And I wrote that up as about a 20 page letter. Wow. And she was like, oh, this is great. And so we went back and forth. We read through it together. We honed it. And then um, I was off on a some email loop. And somebody said, you know, one of those incredibly stupid things. No, not stupid. Incredibly naive things on one of these loops. I mean, it was, it was the kind that's so bad, you take your fingers off the keyboard and you go, no, no, I can't touch it. And I finally went in, no, I have to. And I said, okay, try thinking of it this way. Here's the basic thoughts on an estate. And suddenly this major author who I've revered for years and created the genre I was writing in at the time, personally, popped in and said, is there more to this? will you write a book about this? Can I have it? And so I ended up writing a book to explain what I'd already learned. Right. And that has become my most common speaking platform, not about how to write 70 novels or think in large overarching series or any of the stuff that's actually part of being an author. It's been about how do you organize an estate so that it doesn't die with you? So many of these estates just disappear when the author dies. Have you got an example? Do you know of one that uh, where they oh, didn't do anything? I, I was literally five minutes ago reading about John M. Ford, a large, sorry, large is the wrong word. Brilliant might be the right word, science fiction author. And when he died, his estate 
disappeared. And somebody stumbled on it and spent the next 15 years finding the state and resurrecting it. Octavia Butler, who was probably the best, definitely the best female science fiction writer, but maybe the best science fiction writer of 70s and 80s, when she died, her estate disappeared because the agent managing the estate wasn't willing to talk to anybody about anything less than a movie. So her books went out of print. Her short stories weren't in anthologies. This was a powerhouse author. And she just evaporated. And it's funny that you talk about you, you know, the science fiction authors, but like the first one of the first examples you have in your book is Elvis. And, and what Elvis do uh, or didn't do. And it seems to be common with not only authors, but, uh, you know, Elvis and um, Prince. And um, Aretha. Yeah, actually, I, I did a bit of a list. Um, Jimi Hendrix, Bob Marley, Kurt Cobain, Tupac Shakur, uh, Barry White, James Brown. They all died without a will. Actually, Elvis had a will, but what he had, what he left was a complete mess. So his estate was horribly disorganized and it was within 12 months of complete bankruptcy. And his ex-wife, Priscilla, came in and said, okay, she was already a multi-million businesswoman, had her own business. And she said, okay, I will come in and take three or four years of my life and fix this. And the reason that estate is now worth $400 million instead of bankrupt was because she was doing it for her daughter. She was doing it to, to make sure legacy. that all the value of that legacy was actually passed forward. Otherwise, we would have no idea who Elvis was if she hadn't done that. It'd probably be, probably be no Graceland today. Yeah. It'd just be an old house. But the, but the others, it's like they have this concept that if they think about death, they're going to die yeah. at, or that they're going to live forever or it's not going to happen to me before I'm 80. What was Hendrix, 27? Yeah, there's so many. I know And in my book, I talk about uh, uh, Jerry Garcia. He had his second wife. She was, and he did have a will, but he had an executor. But he also had a first wife. And he never formally, he had an agreement with her that he was going to pay her a whole lot of money. But that wasn't written, written in the will. She took the first wife, took the second wife and the estate to court. She won, but there wasn't enough money in the estate to pay her. So, but they ended up having a negotiation. But there was a a a, a ton of creditors that were coming after the estate. Um, even one of the guitar maker, uh, one of the he wanted the guitars, and then the band said no, the guitars belong to us. So he ended up with one of the the guitars, and the band got uh, I think there was four of them, and the band got three. He took one and then he sued the estate because he wanted the estate to pay the legal fees for the guitar that he that he got in the estate. So it's authors, um, musicians, everybody. If you don't have a proper estate plan set up, you're, you're basically leaving a mess to people. Yeah. And, uh, you know, Garcia was lucky. His second wife was, you know, willing to, you know, she said it was it, being the executive it became a, a job. And then, you know, Priscilla Presley, she thought about, you know, the legacy for her daughter. It's, mm -hmm. And all of this could be taken care of. And we assume because of these people are high powered people. Of course, they've got all of the, you know, legal minds and accountants and stuff like that. But they come back down to basically what you're talking about is who you talk to are just creatives who only create.
and don't yeah. think about anything around them. And the, I mean, some of them, people were going up to Aretha all the time and saying, you've got to put together a will. And she kept going, yeah, yeah, you're right. I need to, I need to. Yeah. She, she and so she, she actually never did. did. Well, no, she, well, she did, but she, she did a handwritten will. Unfortunately, she made four of them. So that's where there's a problem right now. There's four handwritten wills. So oh what could God. possibly go wrong? Okay, the last time I read up on it, they hadn't found those yet, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> but either way, it's a mess. It's a and, mess. And, yeah. and here is a woman that would, um, from what I understood, she always she always wanted to be paid cash for her, her appearances. She'd, and you, a lot of times you would see her on stage with her purse because she had the cash. She wouldn't go on stage for the uh, distributors. Um, that's true. It was the promoters until she got her cash because she had a check bounced on her one time. What are your thoughts on when you see uh, artists today like uh, Bruce Springsteen, uh, Bob Dylan? Are they doing the right thing by selling their catalogs and making it uh, so it's more easier for the estate and estate planning? You know, six months ago, I would have given you a different answer. Six months ago, I was like, that's kind of interesting. And now I think it was probably pretty bloody smart because it removes whole layers of contention. It puts it in the hands of somebody who's willing to keep that legacy going. And it also, it takes away that whole management question. So I I figured I had it wired. I moved recently. So I'm redoing my estate planning for the new state that I live in. Uh, and it was like, okay, let me put in one more level of deep backup for my kids. So one more chose a university, talk to their, they have a press. I talked to their people, you know, can I give this to you? It's a legacy that earns, you know, this level. And they were, and you would manage it and give a share back to my kid. So she could be hands off and receive money from this legacy that pays them both. And they said, we don't know how to do it. We would love to. And I, I even laid out what it would take to do. And they said, we don't know how to manage something like an author's legacy. It's a huge hole in our industry right now. It used to be that an agent would take it on, which meant the agent's grandkids would be managing your grandkids' money. But I'm an indie author now. I finally got all my rights back from my, all my publishers. I publish my own work. I make a very nice living publishing my own work. I own 100% of all rights to 70 novels, 100 short stories, 40 audiobooks, a game. How, does, how do I manage that? How do I give it to my kid in a package that's manageable? I would love to find a firm that would do a Bruce Springsteen, do a Sony or a Universal for me, that would go, okay, here, we're going to give you X number of money that would be my potential earnings of the next 20, 30 years, take that block and hand it to my kid. That would be a very nice, and live off it till I, as long as I can, and then hand it to what's left to the kid. But I think it's a very smart solution that hasn't found its way out of the, the stratosphere yet. If you aren't a Springsteen, a Dylan, uh, can you do it? And I'm actually working with a small group of people who are asking the same question of how do we put this together at an author level? Right. And we got close once where we, we were going to 
build a firm specifically to manage estates um, on a share-based structure, but it didn't come together. So we're I'm still pushing it because I'm I'm still just looking for a solution for my kid. Yeah. If somebody came in and offered me a huge amount of money, I'd be game. Because because we were talking about you moving to this the state that you're in now, and you and you're you're taking it to another level in terms of you know thinking about your about your child. When you first started going through this exercise in before you made the move and where you were before, I meant mm-hmm. to ask you, how did you feel knowing that you had done something, that something was done and that you, and actually all of this has pretty much been spearheaded or started based on your, your, your daughter asking a question, what's going to happen? And that's moved you to do something, which is, which is, you know, not expected, but once you did it, how did you feel going through the process that you you had completed it? Good in so many different ways, partly because I used to be a co-teacher in a business master class for professional writers and to stand up in front of them and say, this pe- these pieces of this process, I don't have the whole thing wired. But these pieces of the process are all in place. This thing is going to move cleanly to my kid. Just It's just going to roll into her hand. There aren't any questions. There's no problems. Now it's what's the best way to manage it? So I'm doing these little tweaks now of what's the best way for her to have as many options as she wants on how to manage this. To have the thing organized and cataloged and have that letter written so that she can just pick up the letter and it will walk her through. It has everything from the names and numbers of the CPA and the lawyer and five, three or, or five publishing friends so that she can call them and say, what do I do with this stuff? And they've all agreed they're willing to step in. And I've agreed I'm willing to step in for them. Right. That's a huge load. And it was, I don't know, the bottom line, it was probably four or five days work to get to that point. And now I'm, I'm trying to fuss with it right. and build more tiers and put and help other authors. So that becomes a bigger task. Yeah. Clearly, this is one of my soapboxes. So. I know when we <laughs> when we first started to communicate, you said this was your soapbox. And, and now I get it. I can see I can hear the passion in your voice in terms of this is something that you, you feel that there's a need that needs to be taken care of. And it's it, it's along the lines of what I uh, in my book, and what I often say is that you want to leave, leave a legacy, not a legacy and a mess. And yeah. because of the type of, um, you know, the area that you're in, in terms of the creatives, there's so much more that you can leave. This is probably the greatest gift of love that you could leave to your family in terms of your legacy. And it's going to live on and on through your works. And, the, and you'll, be, you'll be remembered. Uh, hopefully, it'll pass on from generation to generation. Um, so what a, a, a comment on that is a real quick one is I don't care. I'm going to be dead. Exactly. And I think that's one of the pieces of advice I give is you have to let go. You're going to be dead. Don't give a lot of instruction. Make it easy for them to make intelligent choices. Yeah. So if I can hand this thing intact and say, and here's the myriad of different ways you can go with this. I'm hands off. I'm on to whatever's next if there is a next. Yeah. You're, we're, we're speaking the same language. And, and, there, yeah. and there's, you know, there's people who will do nothing. 
there are those who have will have something in place, but they're not going to go the extra mile like what you're doing in terms of having the conversations and getting things organized. And then there's the group where you're in right now in terms of this is what I want to do. I'm, I've communicated with those I've loved. This is, uh, I've put it in place that once I'm gone, I've made it easier on you to carry on my legacy. And this is because I love you so much. And it is the greatest gift of love that you can give them by uh, being so organized. When it comes to the final letter, I know you, in your case, it's 20 pages or, or more, you said it was uh, how yours is written up. Something like that. Is that the norm or it could be a lot shorter or how do you get started? I took, well, this is what my whole book's about, yeah. but it's go on the assumption that your heirs don't speak publishing or artistry or marketing. Go on the assumption that they speak English. What do they need to know? They need to know that the wills are over in that drawer and the bank accounts are over there. And the investment company is this, and oh, all of my files on my computer are organized this way. And here are the contracts that I have outstanding for work. He, if you're an artist, here are the exhibits I currently have where pieces of my life are out of the house. So you can't just put your hand on them. The only tracking is something on the computer or a file drawer. And so I tell people the first thing you should do is take your air on a tour of your office and go, okay, the contracts are in that drawer. The bank statements are over there. The will's there. And most of it's on my computer. And here, and here's and, where the passwords are. And here's where the passwords are. And then um, you start building on that and you go, okay, let me write down that chunk of information. Now let me write down what's special about your industry. In my industry, it's publishing. There are about 20 keywords. So probably a third of my letter is defining what those words mean, what those publishing words are. And then I sit down and I go, okay, because my, my particular creative is completely electronic. I went through and completely organized my computer files. So it's all in folders. It's all arranged. I made a key tracking file and a key information file for each book. Great. I put in the letter, here's where those files are. So now they have a guide to the money, to the will, to where it is. And all I have to do is every, anytime I update anything in the letter, I email her a copy of the letter. I got a different CPA. Great. I change it in the letter and I send her a copy. That whole organization process is it was literally a matter of days. And the letter was just, if I could think about, okay, I died. What does she need to know? What do my group of heirs need to know? What does a lawyer need to know? Let me just write it in my voice. Just type it. Doesn't matter if it's grammatical or whatever. It's moving that information forward. It's not instructions. It's how to understand what's there. Having this conversation with you, it's it's so rare, especially when it comes to a, a particular area. In your case, it's publishing that you've you've given this so much thought that there's that you've you've actually given a track to your your executor, your, your, your beneficiary of where to go when the inevitable is going to happen and in making mm -hmm. it easier for them. And I want to thank you, Matt Bachman, for being on the show today. 
Uh, hopefully we'll do something else down in the, down the road because I think it's important that more professionals like you get the word out in their industries. You're doing all this hard work. Why not let your legacy and your, your memory live on, you know, and also provide income for your, for your uh, beneficiaries and, and for next generations, for his generations uh, to come. So I want to thank you for being here on the Executor Help podcast, and um, I wish you all the best. Oh, before I let you go, what am I? I'm sorry about that. How can people <laughs> find out about, we'll start with your 70 books. Where can they find about uh, the different uh, genres you write into, you write in, and also then about this book about uh, estate planning for authors? Everything is under mlbuckman.com. That's M-L-B-U-C-H-M-A-N.com. Um, and on Facebook, it's ML Buckman. On Twitter, it's ML Buckman. Uh, this is the actual book, which, of course, is it's only audio. audio. <laughs> <laughs> it's only audio. Okay, great. Um, <laughs> but, it is, but it is a book that says estate planning for authors. Yep. And you just find the button that says nonfiction on my site, and you'll come up with the book. It's also out there on every site. Amazon and so on. So, so tell me a little I, bit. I also tried to write it as a guide. So if you have somebody who didn't write a will or didn't organize everything, it's a guide on what you should look for to try to put their estate back together. Uh, you know, here are the elements of a writer's estate. Here's how you can probably find them. Right. So I tried to make it a guidebook as well. And once they've got their estate organized, what are some of your works? What are you famous for? What are your favorite books? What's your, tell me a little bit about Matt. How did you end up writing so many books? <laughs> uh, too many ideas. One of the things about writing is the first book will take you three, four years probably, but the next book will take two. And the one after that will take a year. And then you'll start writing in a series and you'll be working with the same characters. So you don't have to re-research everything. Helps if you're a workaholic. Um, I always have been. Now I'm doing it for me instead of for a corporation. But uh, I ended up stumbling into writing military romantic suspense because of researching a helicopter, and which I had never flown in at the time, and stumbled on this group, this special operations secret helicopter regiments, uh, the 160th SOAR, called the Night Stalkers, and. I'd been looking for an idea. And of course, being a guy, I had to go and look at their application and see if I would have qualified back in the day. Answer's hell no. Um, but the second line of it back in 2006 was women may not apply. And I had my idea. The woman who was so good, they couldn't keep her out. And that launched the Night Stalkers, which became the 42 book Emily Beale universe. And she was the one who they couldn't keep out. And it's 42 romances all set around the first book, which is The Night is Mine. And as I'm going come, along. And how do you come up with hmm? the idea for each book in the series? Do you, do you have a beginning and an writing, end? Writing begets writing. So the more you write, the more ideas you get to the point where I couldn't begin to write all the ideas I've had. This little character said, no, no, I want, I want to be next. And so I follow that character into their story. And, or I discover some cool fact or the ideas is, is not an issue. And then I came off the back end of military romantic suspense 
And I realized I was getting more and more into the edge of thriller. And my current series that's really selling well, and I just finished book 10 two days ago, um, the first draft, is Miranda Chase and the Miranda Chase geopolitical techno thrillers. She's an autistic air crash investigator for the NTSB, the National Transportation Safety Board. And so she's really good at plane crashes and really bad at people <laughs> and keeps getting wrapped up in geopolitics. And she's just fun to write. So I'm just now to the point where I'm writing because it's fun. And my fans are following me going more, more. When can I get more? Wow. So it's a win-win. Wow. Well, I guess in here, talk to you about writing and the, 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 the process and, and the ideas. And that's what I find fascinating. We've informed the, the public, especially the creatives, what they need to do on how to leave a proper legacy and make sure that their generation, uh, generations of beneficiaries will profit from their, their hard work. So again, I'll try a second time. Matt Buckman, thanks for being on the uh, podcast and uh, we definitely will have another conversation down the road. So I wish you all the best. And again, where people can find your works and your um, the book, Estate Planning for Authors, is where? mlbuckman.com. And Thank thanks so much for having me. It's been a, my pleasure. And we'll talk again sometime down the road. Thank you very much. Sounds great. You've been listening to the Executor Help Podcast. For more details, visit davidedy.com or follow David on Facebook, LinkedIn, or Twitter. The links are in the show notes.